So I was born and raised Catholic. I did attend Catholic services once in a while, but I didn't have a true relationship with God. My main focus starting at a young age was alcohol. Uh, growing up in a rural area like I did, it was you know socially accepted to start drinking at 13, 14 years old. And uh, this went on throughout all throughout high school into college and throughout that entire time I was you know turning these what I thought were just normal actions that they were turning into real life addictions so I thought what I was doing was fine and then it wasn't March 15 2008 I was involved in a fatal car accident four individuals had lost their lives, and four individuals whom I all knew personally. It felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. Uh, I was sentenced to 24 years in prison. I accepted, like, you know, I have done what I have done, and this is my sentence. My original outdate was 10-10-2032, and if I have to do every day of that, then I, then I have to do every day of that. You know, I made a decision that night, and this is the consequence to it. Throughout my 15 years of being incarcerated, uh, I was at four different facilities. Each facility kind of had its set of trials and tribulations. Living the Christian life within those walls was not the easiest thing. I would say it wasn't until the, the last stop before I was released where I just felt like finally I could let my guard down a little bit and, and really you know work on that relationship with the Lord. And to be honest, that last year, I, I just felt like I was on fire for the Lord. In September of 22, I found out through my lawyers that we were gonna move forward with my judicial release. They came and picked me up and brought me back to the county. I uh, knew that eventually if they uh, pushed forward with my release that I would be uh, sitting down with my victim's families and uh, at a time where you think I would be, you know, excited and ready to, you know, start this next journey in my life, you know, I was just filled with, with you know, so much stress and anxiety over what that meeting would look like and, and how I would have, you know, the strength to get through it. I think one of the biggest things that I wanted to express is that, you know, there's no, you know, no way I can change what has happened. There's no way I can undo it. There's no way I can you know, bring their sons back, but that moving forward, like I would do everything in my power to bring some good to it. Uh, it was the first Sunday after they had brought me back from the prison. They came over the loudspeaker that if anybody wanted to go uh, to Sunday service, that they had to line up at the door. And they brought us to this uh, like conference room and Sure enough, they turned on the screen and it was a church called Rock City. I honestly, I don't, I don't know if anything clicked right then. I did enjoy the music that they were singing. You know, the following week when it, the same announcement came over on Sunday morning, I decided, let me go back and give this a try again. And that particular Sunday, it was Pastor Kayyem uh, giving the message. And uh, as I sat there and just listened to his message that morning, it, it truly was like, you know, the Lord was just speaking directly to me and what I was going through and dealing with in that moment. It, it's almost like a sense of peace just came over me. You could just tell the way, you know, he gave the message and he was speaking that, you know, it was coming from his heart. And, you know, that's something that I hadn't experienced for a long time. So when I was released, I you know, moved to uh, Columbus here with my sister and brother-in-law. But my sister shared with me that, hey, why don't you go ch check out Rock City? There's actually a campus right down in the short north. The streaming messages that I watched while in the county, although they were good, they were nothing compared to being at a real life in-person service. Once again, the worship music was just like, it was speaking to me as I was standing there like, I guess I felt at that point, like, this is where I need to be. This is home. This is, you know, and, and from that point forward, I've been attending in the short north. Someone encouraged me to join a small group. You know, I'll be the first to admit I was kind of anxious. They broke us off in the end. 
with like one other person and we would share a little bit about ourselves. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is gonna be kind of awkward. But that particular night I decided, well, you know, if this is a small group and everybody's here to support one another, I'm gonna share my story. And I remember him saying like, thank you for sharing that. That is so powerful and I'm so glad you're here. To hear that he was so supportive, this particular individual, it was, you know, such a blessing from God. Through Rock City, I've been able to meet so many, you know, remarkable people. I've had so many opportunities to be able to serve and give back. Each time I put my hand out for someone else or each time I go down and serve and volunteer at the Dream Center, like, maybe that'll be the moment that clicks in that person's head that I'm reaching that, you know, their life can be different or maybe I can be the push that, that they need to you know, get through whatever it is they're dealing with. And for me, that gives me peace. One word comes to mind when I think about, you know, just being totally forgiven and it's just being overwhelmed. Like to, to think that, you know, that I made this choice in my life and I've affected, you know, not only four families forever, but hundreds of people had it not been for God's grace and, and him just being a constant force in my life, I don't believe I would have ever got to this point. To think that because of my faith and because you know Jesus died on the cross for my sins that I'm completely forgiven for that is, is just overwhelming. Let's celebrate, let's celebrate. How incredible to hear what God is doing in Nick's life and so many other people's life, how easy it is to get to celebrate that Legacy Sunday today, get to find out all that the Lord has in mind in the year to come for us through the generosity of you as these uh, folks pour into our uh, future. And we're asking the Lord to bless the future through our giving today and I look forward to that les legacy offering today as well. It's uh, my privilege to get to bring the message today. I'm grateful to Chad and Katie, for the opportunity to talk to you about Jesus on the mountain. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus in the valley, get our focus shifted to Christmas here a little bit. I hope before you leave to have blown your mind. So that's the goal of the message today, that you'll walk out and say, huh, okay, I didn't know that you're going to blow my mind today, Pastor Todd. I'm hoping to do just that. I want to welcome Polaris and Whitehall and the Short North, and of course, those of you here at Hilliard today. And to those who are in the hospital or the nursing homes, or let's all together welcome those folks who are in the prisons who are joining with us today. We're glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to think back about a life on the mountaintop experience in your own life. Yesterday, the Columbus crew had one of those. Congratulations to the crew. Everybody's excited about that. Two weeks from now, my wife and I celebrate 34 years of marriage. Thank you. If you ask her about it, she would tell you that every day has been life on the mountaintop with me. I don't know why you're laughing. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, how incredible to get to come into your presence today and, and worship you and to hear stories of how you're changing people's lives. How incredible to open your word. Today, I'm praying that you would meet us on its pages, that you would draw us to you, that we would know you more and more intimately this Christmas season. Would you change us again this Christmas season? And we pray in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Jesus on the mountaintop. The phrase mountaintop experience has come to mean a moment of significant revelation given by God or a time of especially feeling close to God, or perhaps like the disciples, an experience where you're seeing Jesus in new ways, mountaintop experiences. The Bible clearly teaches us that the, that the Lord, if you're taking notes, the Lord invites us to the mountaintops by his calling. So throughout the Old Testament, people were invited to the mountaintop by the calling of God. Let me just give you some examples that hopefully will sound familiar to Old Testament mountaintop experiences. Noah was called by God to build an ark to save mankind from the wrath of God against our sin. And when he was finished with the 40 days of rain and 150 days of floating, he landed on Mount Ararat and got a new perspective of what God was doing next. God had cleansed the world and Moses from the top of the mountain could see next things 
that the Lord was planning to do. Mountaintop perspective. Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son. And so he went up Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. It's the same mount that years later Solomon built the temple on. And it's the same mount that years later Jesus took the cross up to Mount Moriah and was sacrificed for our sins there. Moses was called to go up to see a burning bush. And a little bit later, God gave him the Ten Commandments on a mountain called Horeb. We know about Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb in Moses' life. Elijah sought the Lord on Mount Carmel. And then he heard a still small voice a little bit later on Mount Horeb again. So God is constantly using mountains to give his people an experience with him and a connection with him and a new perspective on what he's doing. Jesus on the mountaintop. Even heaven is characterized in the Bible as a mountaintop. Listen to this passage from Revelation chapter 14. Then I looked, the author said, and behold, there was a lamb. Where was he? Standing on Mount Zion, which is a picture of heaven, with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. Apparently, heaven will be like a constant forever mountaintop for us. Anybody excited about that? Heaven will certainly change our perspective, will it not? When we're in glory, we will see things differently. But God wants to give us that perspective while we're on the earth, too. And he's frequently calling his people to mountaintop experiences with him. Here are some truths about mountaintops. In the Bible, mountains are a symbolic, they're symbolic of God's revelation to mankind. God gives the mountaintop experience in order to sustain his people as they go down in the valley. They almost always precede going down in the valley. So next week, Pastor Chad will talk about life in the valley with Jesus. His revelation, God's revelation, is always intended to help us journey with him more closely on the road ahead. He's calling us to him. It's a deeper relationship he wants with us when he takes us to the mountaintop. Mountains are places of deep connection with God, where he reveals himself and gives us fresh air. The air is thinner up there, but it's fresh and it's clean for us, and we can breathe deeply, and we have the ability to see clearly for a long distance. God is giving us his vision. It's his eyes that help us see. Mountains are places of prayer in the Bible. They're places of healing, places of revelation, places of being commissioned to go do what God calls us to do next. Truly important for us to have mountains, otherwise we'd be stuck down in ourselves and down in our own mess and mire. We need the mountains because our nature is to stare at our lives. We need the mountains because our nature is to stare at our own lives and to glance occasionally at our God. If we're not lifted up sometimes, we're just gonna get stuck down here in our mess. And so we need the mountains to help us lift our eyes. Mountaintop experiences invite us to stare at God instead of ourselves and to occasionally glance at ourselves. God is flipping the perspective when he lifts our eyes. Takes our eyes off of ourselves and helps us to fix our eyes on him. We all need perspective shifts throughout our lives. In other words, we gain perspective when we spend time with God. That helps us see our lives correctly. We gain perspective when we spend time with God and then he helps us to see rightly the things in our own lives that we need to see. Even Satan knows about the power of mountaintops. If you're familiar with Jesus' baptism, he goes straight from his baptism to 40 days in the wilderness where he fasts. And at the end of the 40 days, Satan comes in three temptations. The third one says this in Matthew chapter 4, 8, and 9. And again, the devil took Jesus along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Imagine that perspective. Jesus, here are all the kingdoms in the world and all of their glory. You can have all of the worldly glory, Jesus. I will give that to you if you fall down and worship me, Satan said. I'll give you all the glory of the world and all the power of the world. And of course, Jesus rejected that because he could see a greater glory still. 
than an earthly glory. He could see an eternal glory, and he sent Satan on his way. Because God's perspective is different than Satan's perspective, and it's different than the world's perspective. And so Satan was promising Jesus the world, and God is promising us so much, so much greater. We need that perspective. Jesus refuses to bow down to the devil, and he said there's only one God of the mountains. He's the Father. Jesus also went to the mountain by choice. I want to make sure you catch this today. He went to the mountain by choice. If he went to the mountain by choice, then guess what? Maybe we can do that as well. Sometimes we feel like we kind of stumble on mountaintop experiences or they just kind of happen when certain momentum builds in our lives. But Jesus went to the mountaintop by choice. Let's see if we can find that in the scripture. Often he preached on the Mount of Olives or he spent time with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He had a sermon on the Mount if you're familiar with those phrases. Two weeks before he even went to the cross, two weeks before he went to the cross, he went up on a mountaintop for perspective. He's about to go to the cross. He takes Peter, James, and John with him to the mountaintop, and up there, Moses and Elijah greet him. His face shines like the sun. His clothes are as white as light. He stepped into his glorified self. And on the way down the mountain in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says this to Peter, James, and John. See if you can tell what his perspective is. He's two weeks from going to the cross, and here's what Jesus says on his way down. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So he's on the mountaintop hanging out with Moses and Elijah getting a perspective about the cross. And when he walks back down, he's not just thinking about the cross, but he's also thinking about the resurrection. Don't tell anyone that what you've just seen about my glorification until you see me raised from the dead. You see, the mountaintop helped him see the cross through the, the eyes of the resurrection. That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to change our perspective. There may be a cross that we bear, there may be difficult times in our lives, but God can give us a different perspective as we walk with him, and he wants to do that. Jesus chose the mountains. The Bible tells us that Jesus often went up to the mountain to pray. Look at Matthew chapter 14. And when he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there all alone. He just went up to the mountains to pray. He was gonna connect with his father. In fact, one of the times when he met, went to the mountains, he had just finished feeding the 5,000. Maybe you know the story. A little boy offered him five loaves and two fish. He feeds 5,000 people. There are 12 baskets of food left over. And then the book of Mark tells us that the disciples gained no insight from the miracle. Think about that for a second. If he takes five loaves and two fish and he, and he feeds 5,000 people and there are 12 baskets left over and the disciples gain no insights from the miracle, you might go to the mountain by yourself too. <laughs> I think he went up there and said, Father, these 12 that you gave me. Here it is in Luke chapter six. Now it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer with God. Jesus choosing the mountains to go gain perspective and talk to his father. John 6 says it this way. So Jesus, aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king. So his followers think now is the time, let's set him up as king. And he doesn't, he sneaks off and goes to the mountain. He's not here for that. He's here to be king of kings. King of kings. Goes to the mountain alone. Mountains were solitary places when Jesus needed a quiet place to pray. We need solitary times too. And we need quiet places. We live in a world with a lot of noise. He went to talk to his father, to commune with him, to receive strength and guidance from the Lord. Jesus frequently goes for a change of perspective. He prays, he meditates on the word, and he leans into the spirit. We have the same opportunity. We can pray, meditate on the word, and lead into the spirit. He's offering the same choice for us. We get to make a choice on our perspective. Listen to Psalm chapter 121. 
The psalmist says, I will raise, there's my, there's my will. It's my will to raise my eyes to the mountains from where my help will come. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. I will raise my eyes to the mountains. I'm choosing to go to the mountain and spend time focused on God. I'm gonna connect with him in prayer. I'm gonna take the word. I'm gonna lean in to the Holy Spirit in my life. It's actually throughout the Christmas story as well. So let's see if we can find it together in the Christmas story. Over and over in the Christmas story, God used the Holy Spirit and the Bible to give them mountaintop perspective. He was calling them into the valley. He was calling them into the valley. Hey, young lady, you're going to have a baby outside of marriage, and you're going to have a baby, and your husband-to-be is not really gonna understand, and neither are your parents, and neither is anyone around you, okay? That's a valley. But let me give you a biblical perspective, and let me give you the Holy Spirit, and let me help you understand. Same thing with Joseph. Joseph, I want you to marry a young lady that's carrying someone else's child. Like, who wants to do that? That's a calling to the valley. But then God gave him the word and the spirit and said, let me help you see a different perspective even as I call you to the valley. Let me give you mountaintop eyes. It's the same thing God does in our lives. If we'll go and connect in the spirit and in the word and in prayer, listen for the word and for the spirit in these stories uh, about Christmas, familiar stories that you and I have heard. Before I read this, let me uh, tell you this. I don't know how many times I've gotten to speak or teach on Christmas. One of my favorite things to get to teach on. And uh, for, the, for the first time in my life last year, I decided to go through the Christmas story. And by the way, let me invite you into the same journey. Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. That's it. Four chapters. Between now and Christmas, can I encourage you, even this week, read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. In fact, if you want to do it in the right order, Luke 1, Matthew 1, Luke 2, Matthew 2. It won't take you that long, but it'll help to change your perspective even this Christmas season. It'll take you to a mountaintop experience at Christmas, which I'll try to show you before we leave. Last year, I decided to see if I could find the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. I had never done a deep dive looking for the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story, and I was shocked with what I found. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is mentioned more time in the Christmas story than the angels? Like I've told this story my whole life and I always talk about the angels who suddenly show up and say this and that and the other. And the angels are cool. They're an important part of the story. But the Spirit of God is mentioned more than the angels. I don't think I've ever taught the Christmas story by saying the Spirit of God is this, Spirit of God is that, Spirit of God. So I've been misteaching it all these years, apparently. I'm gonna try to get it right today. If I can. Listen to it with Zechariah. He's an old man. He's beyond childbearing years. He and his wife have wanted a child, didn't have one, been praying about it, no answer. He's in the temple serving God. An angel shows up out of the, out of a, out of the blue in the temple when Zechariah is alone. We'll pick it up there in Luke 1. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. These are all Old Testament Bible verses from here on, by the way. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine nor liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Let me just stop there for a second. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit when? While yet in his mother's womb, my favorite verse in the Bible talking about abortion is right there. Not only is this baby alive in the womb, but he is filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Not only does a baby have life in the womb, but the Spirit is alive in the baby, in the womb. Powerful verse about when life begins, amen? Powerful verse. I'll read it again just so you can see it. It's not my word, it's his. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah. John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to their God. Well, he who is go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. These are all Old Testament verses. To, heart, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children 
and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Those are the last two verses in the Old Testament. And Zechariah, <coughs> here's right here at the beginning of the New Testament. He's the Messiah, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, and the Holy Spirit's right there involved. Here's the word, here's, just, here's the Spirit. Let me change your perspective. God did the same thing with, Ma with Mary. Here it is in Luke chapter one, a little bit later. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. These are Old Testament prophecies. Here's the Bible being given. And the Lord God will give, you, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Isaiah chapter seven. But Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, there he is again, eight different times. As you look for it there, she, you'll find the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. The Holy Spirit himself will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Why is he called the Son of God? He's Mary's son and the Holy Spirit's son. And the Holy Spirit is God. So he is literally the Son of God. That's why we call him the Son of God. That's why he will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself, she's too old, she's Zacharias' wife. She's having a son in her old age. She who was called infertile is now in her sixth month. Here's a perspective change. Ready, Mary? For nothing will be impossible with God. I lift up my eyes and I see a different perspective. And Mary said, behold, the Lord's bondservant. See, when she sees a perspective, she said, great. My life is gonna radically change, but it's gonna change for the better. I see your perspective, yes. Behold your bondservant, may it be done to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Now Mary's mom and dad probably aren't gonna believe her. Her husband-to-be is not going to believe her. She's got kind of a strange story to tell. Right, husband-to-be, I know we haven't been together or anything, but I'm pregnant, I'm having somebody else's baby, but I haven't been unfaithful to you, uh, it's the Lord's. Kind of a hard story, <laughs> kind of a hard story. Like it's a once-in-a-lifetime once story, right? Once in a, his story, story. Who's gonna believe her? So she had been told that Elizabeth might have a miraculous baby too. So she goes straight to see Elizabeth. Listen to what happens when she gets there. Now at this time, Mary set out and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby inside of her, John the Baptist, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here he keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And she cried out with a loud voice. So picture Mary, she's traveling to go see her relatives, Zachariah and Elizabeth. On the way, she's thinking, how am I going to explain this to her? No one else has believed me. Can I get Elizabeth and Zachariah to believe me? Before she says anything, the Holy Spirit comes on Elizabeth and Elizabeth says this. And she cried out with, a, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and says, blessed are you among women, Mary. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it, that it, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come visit me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Mary, with a child inside of her, Jesus, the Son of God, walks into the room and the Holy Spirit inside John has the baby leap in the womb. They are both alive and well in the womb and they are relating to each other in the womb in that room. The Christmas story is incredible. And so too with Joseph, the spirit of God and the word of God changing their perspective at Christmas. Listen to what happens with Joseph. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, he's already found out that she's pregnant. He was thinking about divorcing her quietly. Angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Joseph, what she told you is not make believe the Holy Spirit has come upon her and, and she's pregnant with the son of God. 
She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Here comes the Old Testament verses. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, kept her aversion until she gave birth to a son, called his name Jesus. Here's the Old Testament. Here are the biblical truths, Joseph. Here's my Holy Spirit coming upon you to help you understand. I'm going to change your perspective. I know you wanted to divorce her quietly. I know this is a very difficult time in your life, but I'm here. I'm here to help you see a different perspective. I'm here to raise your eyes. God also invites you and me. He invites us to experience the mountaintop in the day to day. Let me say that again. God invites us, you and I, to experience the mountaintop in the day-to-day. You might say, well, Pastor Todd, I haven't been on the mountaintop in a long time. But the Lord is inviting you to connect with him by his spirit, in his word, through prayer. He's inviting you to the mountaintop in the day-to-day. We will gain perspective as we invest time in the word, in prayer, and with the Spirit, just like he did with Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph, he does in our lives. Let me see if I can give you an example from the Christmas story in our own lives. I wonder if we could wonder together about this God-man, Emmanuel. Maybe you heard when the angel said that to Joseph, he said, he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Let me say that again. Emmanuel means... God with us, say it out loud with me. Emmanuel means God with us. Can we just stop there for a second? Maybe you've been in the church your whole life and you've known your whole life that phrase, Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe it's new to you, but it should stop us in the tracks. The God of the universe came down and spent time with us on this little tiny planet and this little tiny galaxy. You know how big this universe is and he holds it all He became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a bit mind-blowing, and I'm going to try to blow your minds. Can I take you on a journey? Will you go with me? Hopefully by the end, we'll all look at each other and say, huh, huh, how did that work? Let's start with John chapter 14. Philip, one of Jesus' followers, at the end of Jesus' ministry, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? When are you going to do this? Jesus' answer back is mind-blowing. Do you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you? Oh, don't you know you? Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip, after all this time, you still don't know me? If you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. Stop. Jesus in the flesh is fully God. Fully God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus in the flesh is fully God. He is also fully man. This is where you and I should start looking at each other like, huh. In our family, we have dinner uh, time with our grandchildren once in a while, and when our, little, when our kids were growing up, dinner time was Bible story time because our mouths were full, so we could talk. We had six kids, nine and under, so there you go. And now we get to do it with our grandkids. So our grandkids come over for dinner, and I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and we sat down for dinner last week, and they said, okay, pops, uh, Bible story. I said, well, let's do the Christmas story. Let's do the Christmas story. So uh, the six-year-old and the three-year-old, the one-year-old is just eating. He's good. But the six-year-old and the three-year-old are looking at me like, okay, what's the Bible story? I said, well, Jesus was fully God, like 100% God, not a fraction. He's fully God. When you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. He's fully God. He's also fully man. And the three-year-old's already checking out, right? He's looking at me like, I'm not coming with you on that, pups. I don't know how to come with you on that. And maybe I've lost some of us. I don't know, maybe. The six-year-old is like, okay. And then I said, 
So did he, did he have to learn how to walk? And I got the look I was hoping for, hopefully from you today too, but from my six-year-old grandson, he was like, huh. You see, Christmas should blow our minds. Emmanuel, God with us. He's fully God and he's fully man. So you tell me, which one is it? Did he have to learn how to walk? Well, if he's fully God, what's the answer? Well, that's ridiculous. If he's fully man, what's the answer? Well, duh, so which one? Because he's fully both. Did he have to learn how to talk? Did he have to learn he was the Messiah? Can you picture his mom at age four saying, son, now that you're four, I'd like to tell you something. (laughs) You see, your birth, it was kind of this miraculous. You are the center of the universe, to which the average four-year-old would say what? Of course I am, I'm four. (laughs) Except for for this four-year-old, it's actually true. He is the center of the universe. Did she have to explain that to him, or did he already know? He's fully God and he's fully man. Somewhere in here we should be like, whoa, whoa. How did that work exactly, Lord? Emmanuel, the incarnation, God became flesh. I've heard it my whole life, maybe you have too. But our familiarity has gotten gotten in the way of our wonder. I wanna encourage you not to let your familiarity rob you of your wonder this Christmas. In fact, I wanna encourage you to start with wonder. Just sit there for a while. You know, you prepare a sermon, you sit there for a couple of weeks. The last two weeks for me have been, huh, Lord. Let me give you some examples in the word that should make us just say, wow, how did that work? God became flesh and dwelt among us. Look at Luke chapter two. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom, stop. If he's fully God, does that make any sense to anybody in the room? Well, explain that to us, Pastor Todd. Mm. I got nothing. If he's fully man, okay. Jesus grew in stature, now that one I can handle. He was little and he became big, okay. I can wrap my mind around that, how about you? But the third one, I don't know. Jesus grew in favor with God. Well, he is God. How does he have to grow in favor with God? How could he possibly grow in favor with God? I don't know. But I can sit and say, wow, Lord, Christmas. The God of the universe stepped into humanity? How did that work? Huh. We've lost our wonder, brothers and sisters. Little kids still have it. We should go get it back. Even when we pray, we should have it. At the end of the service, I'm gonna pray this way. Even when we pray, shouldn't we stop in our prayer at some point and say, Father, Wonder of wonders, you just gave me your attention. Like the God of the universe can hear from all of us simultaneously. And then he fixes his gaze on me. That is wonderful, amen? Like it is full of wonder and it's wonderful. Father, you fixed your gaze on, like you know my name? You know my name. Huh. And you came here and walked on here to, to get to get me and you actually care about me and you love me unconditionally and, huh, we should be steeped in this sense of wonder. Wow, Lord, wow. And Christmas is the perfect time to dive in to wonder. When I found this verse in Hebrews chapter five, it blew my mind. If you would have asked me before I found this verse, I would have argued to my death that it wasn't true. Tells you what I know. Here's what it says. Hebrews chapter five, verse eight. He, although he was the son, although Jesus is the son, he learned obedience through that which he suffered. If you would have said, hey Todd, did 
Did Jesus have to learn obedience? I'd have said, no, he's the son of the living God. But he's also fully man. How does that work? That he learned obedience through that which he suffered. Wow. Wow, Lord. Fully God and fully man. Huh. One time he was entering to a city and, and there was a man who was too small to see him and so he, he scattered up on a tree so we could look over the crowd and Jesus didn't know the man, had never met the man before but walking into the city because he is the living God and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked up on the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. How did he know his name? Well, he's God and he's filled with the Spirit of God. So we see these glimpses of he's fully God and he sees these glimpses of he's still having to learn. How did this work, the incarnation? How did this work? And shouldn't we at Christmas season just look at each other and say, wow, wow. Jesus, incredible. This one's mind-blowing in Philippians chapter two. Have the same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he already existed in the form of God, he, he was God before he came down here, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He, he didn't hold on to that in glory. He decided to come down here instead. But he emptied himself. That's an incredible word. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Of what did Jesus empty himself when he came to the earth? Like what, what did he leave behind when he went from glory to the, to the womb? Well, apparently he left behind his everywhere presentness. Like for all of time, Jesus lived utterly unrestrained. Nothing contains him. He's the God of the universe. He holds the universe in his hands. He is that expansive. And he went from that reality to this big inside of a womb. What do you think that was like for him? To be contained, restrained for the first time in eternity. Jesus, what was that like? To go from that big to that big? Huh. The God of the universe became man and walked among us. He emptied himself of his everywhere presentness. He also seems to have emptied himself of his all-knowingness. Can you imagine going from knowing everything to not? In all of history, Jesus knew all things. And today, he knows all things. And apparently he emptied himself of his ability to know everything when he came to the earth. His disciples asked him a question about when he was going to return. And he said something mind-blowing to them. He's never said it before. He's never said it since. But they said, Jesus, when are you coming back? And he said, and I'm, I wonder if he just thought about it for a second and thought, huh, this is interesting. He said, I don't know. Has God ever before said, I don't know? No. But Jesus formed those words in his earthly being and said, I, I, I don't know, that's interesting. Here it is, Matthew 24. But as of the day, Jesus said, that day and the hour no one knows, not the, even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone knows. When are you returning? Ah, uh, I don't know. That's mind-blowing that the living God would say, I don't know. How did this work that he's fully God and fully man? Max Licato writes a book called God Came Near. It's my favorite Christmas book. I've had it for many years. It's an old book. But in it, he writes a chapter called 25 Questions for Mary that help us to try to think through this mind-blowing reality of Christmas. Ready? Mary, what was it like watching Jesus pray? 
Mary, how, how did he respond when he heard other kids giggling during the service at the synagogue? Mary, Mary when, he had a, when he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Mary, did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the earth? I've always wondered this for Joseph. Joseph, did you ever take him out back and you were teaching him, he was a carpenter, so you ever teaching him how to use a hammer? And you said, no, 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 son, that's not how you use it. <laughs> to which Jesus said, Dad, look around. I created all of this in one sentence. How did I do? You're gonna show me how to use a hammer. How did that work? Mary, when he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, how did he act? Like, did he know he was a lamb when he was a kid? Did he know about the cross? Did you ever see him with a distant look on his face, Mary, as if he was listening to someone you couldn't hear? Mary, how did he act at funerals? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof, Mary? You know when you put kids to sleep and sometimes you go in your room and you pray over them? Picture Mary going into her son's room, baby Jesus, maybe, maybe even not, maybe toddler Jesus, maybe seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old Jesus. He's sleeping and Mary says, Father, and looks right at him. The God to whom she's praying is laying in her bed. He's fully God and he's fully man. And we should have wonder of wonders this Christmas. How did that work, Lord? Mary, did you ever try to count the stars with him? It's a beautiful sky tonight, Jesus. The clouds are gone. Let's go out and try to count the stars. That's not necessary, Mom. I put them there and I numbered them. You wanna know the number? You wanna know their names? What do you wanna know, their names? Mary, did you ever try to count the stars with him and succeed? Did he ever come home with a black eye? How did he act when he got his first haircut? Mary, did he have any friends growing up by the name of Judas? Did he do, did he do well in school? Did he, did he ever scold, did you ever scold him? I like that one. Did you ever spank Jesus? And how did that go on judgment day there? <laughs> Je Jesus, God of the universe. Remember that time? <laughs> Would you mind if you just kind of, <laughs> you know, because parents get it wrong sometimes, don't we? Mary, did he ever have to ask a question about the scripture? Mary, what do you think he thought when he saw a prostitute offering her body to the highest bidder, the body he made? Did he ever get angry, Mary, when someone was dishonest with him? Did you ever catch him pensively looking at the flesh on his arm while holding a clod of dirt? Hmm. Did he ever wake up afraid? Who was his best friend? When someone referred to Satan, Mary, how did Jesus act? Did you ever accidentally call your son father? What did he and his cousin John talk about as kids? Did he and his brothers and sisters, did his brothers and sisters understand what was happening? Mary, did you ever think that's God eating my soup? Mind blowing. The incarnation, Christmas, God became flesh and dwelt among us. We should all stop with the wonder of it all and say, wow, Lord. We celebrate you and we worship you. Even the angels thought it was wonderful. They couldn't be contained. Just coming and sharing as much as they could. Hey, here he is. Here he is. By way of invitation, inviting you to make a decision to the wonder of Jesus, to wonder anew about Jesus, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing that God loves you so much that he left his throne, sent his son to take on the size of a, of a baby in the womb, to love you into loving him so that you could get to know him. Listen to these words from a song 
by the band Hillsong. The song is called Arrival. Here's how they paint the picture of Christmas. The artist stepped inside the paint. The architect inside the plan. The author climbed inside the page. The playwright took the stage. The infinite is an infant. Divinity in a manger. The one who breathed life is now breathing the air he created. The maker has made himself. The maker has made himself and made himself known. The eternal decided to be confined. He who holds the universe is being held by a young mother. He went from all-knowing to living inside of a baby's mind. He went from all-knowing to living inside of a baby's mind. From never beginning or ending to be confined in time and space. The one who sees all things embraced earthly eyes so that you could see him. The one who sees all things embraced earthly eyes so that you could see him and get to know him. That's Christmas. And it's mind blowing. And the God of the universe would love that. How wonderful that God's radical response to humanity's sin was to become one of us, to walk among us through the valley of the shadow of death, and then to walk alone up a mountain, Mount Moriah, where he was crucified for us and declared his love for us, paying our price in full. Jesus on the mountain. Christmas, what a wonderful time of year. Would you spend time in wonder with him this year? And if you're stirred today by the Spirit to come to Christ, pray with me. Let's all pray together. Wonder of wonders, Father. We just called your name like each one of us individually said, Father, and somehow you attuned your attention to each one of us separately. I don't know how you do that. It is wonderful. You are wonderful. And you know my name. You know my name, Father. Huh. And you know all my mess. You know all my mess. And you love me anyway. I love being loved by you, Father. It's incredible. Wonderful. If you gave your life for me, which I know you did on that mountain, Jesus on the mountain, I would gladly give my life to you, Lord. If you've offered to wash away my sins, I, I give you my sins. Will you wash them away? You've offered to send your Holy Spirit on me. I'll take your Holy Spirit. Thank you. Jesus loving me into loving the Father. I love you too. I love you too. What a wonder, Lord, that you would love us this much. And all God's people said, amen, amen.